Hey there, party people. Welcome back to What's True for Everybody. This is Experience 11. And last time, we mentioned the story uh, from the Gospels and, and said we would do a straight-up Bible teaching on it. And so that's what we're going to do. And this experience is called Jesus Forgives and Heals a Paralyzed Man. And this is a story that's found in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Luke, but we're going to look at Mark's account of this Gospel. And before we read it, uh, <laughs> this is kind of a bizarre pairing, isn't it? Isn't it? Jesus forgives and heals a paralyzed man. Why is forgiving and healing paired up here? I mean, when's the last time you went to the doctors because you weren't feeling well, and you went in to have them giving you an exam or, or check you out, and they were looking at your ears, they're looking at your throat, and all of a sudden, your doctor, while she's trying to figure out what exactly is the best method to help you heal, says, oh, you know, while you're here, I'm just going to forgive you. <laughs> what? Why is forgiveness and healing paired up here? That just seems bizarre. But here we go. Uh, let's read this. This is Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and Mark writes this. A few days later... When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Good question. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, what's going on here? Uh, let's go through the story, and we'll stop for some insights along the way, the last of which is really a question that you and I need to answer. Uh, but first, let's start with, with the ultimate point of the story. The point of the story is the authority of Jesus. This is the first of five consecutive stories that Mark tells us about the authority of Jesus. And sometime... Read Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through Mark chapter 3, verse 6 in, in one sitting. Uh, so it's this story and then the next four. And then just for giggles, read the story after that, which is Mark chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. And notice who actually submits to the authority of Jesus in that last story, which is funny because in the five stories before it, the first of which we just read, there's a group of people who don't submit to the authority of Jesus, and that group of people is some of the religious leaders, the people who you think would 
be noticing and be aware of and be submitting to the authority of Jesus. But anyway, in each of these five stories, uh, Jesus' words and actions make the religious leaders question what he's doing. In each story, Jesus takes the place of and goes beyond the Old Testament law and the tradition of the elders and everything these religious leaders believe to be acceptable. In each of these stories, Jesus blows up the customs and the conventions of his day. And by the way, if you are somehow challenging the long-time accepted way of doing things in some area of your life, you may be onto something because that's exactly what Jesus is doing. And at the, at the beginning of John's gospel, uh, John writes that Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That's what's happening here in this series of stories. And let's point this out. This is the beginning of Mark chapter 2. There's 16 chapters in Mark. This isn't Mark 15 or 16. Mark doesn't wait until we all feel warm and fuzzy about Jesus to talk about his authority. He does it almost immediately at the beginning of his gospel. I mean, this is like the cold call of talking about authority. Why does Mark do this? Why is he starting his gospel like this? Maybe it's because authority is inherently good. That's why Mark is starting with this. And for a lot of us, the word authority, uh, it gets a bad rap sometimes, and for pretty good reason. Uh, We hear the word authority, and, and sometimes we think of something negative like oppression or dominance or bullying. We think of stern, unhappy people looking down on us, just ready to get us in trouble, or someone who's abusing their power. We think of people who run things the way they want and don't have to answer to anybody. We think of people who are allowed to mistreat others without facing any sort of consequences. And our minds sometimes go to these places because we've seen this. And this is how we've experienced authority sometimes in our family or in our workplace or in government or or maybe even our friend group. Uh, This has just been some of our honest experience with authority. I would like to say that this is not the way it's supposed to be. Real authority isn't seen in the burden that comes to people from the wrong kind of leadership. Real authority is seen in the freedom that comes to people from the right kind of leadership. Real authority isn't seen in the burden that comes to people from the wrong kind of leadership. Real authority is seen in the freedom that comes to people from the right kind of leadership. And I believe when used appropriately, authority is a really good and really necessary thing. Another word for authority is mastery. Authority is is actually the mastery of something that should lead others to only the best places. And one of the things Mark is saying here, I believe, is that Jesus has such a mastery of the divine and of the human experience that it can only lead us to the best places. I think Mark's actually encouraging us here, which, by the way, raises this question. How are you using whatever authority you have? Wherever it is, your family, your workplace, your friend group, places you volunteer? Is it leading people to a place of burden or is your authority leading people to a place of goodness and freedom? And perhaps this is why Mark starts with the authority of Jesus because 
the authority of Jesus is good and it is necessary for you and I to thrive. So that's the ultimate point of the story, the authority of Jesus. Now, now we're ready to get into this story. Let's dig into this. So Jesus, we're told, is teaching in a house. And we're told that he came home to Capernaum. Maybe this home is the house he considered home. Maybe it's the disciple Peter's house, Peter's mother's house. We're not entirely sure. But either way, it's apparently where Jesus stayed a bunch. And so people heard that Jesus had come back to town, so they gathered to listen to him speak. And not only did they gather to listen to him, but they gathered in, as Mark says, such large numbers that there's apparently not room for one more person to fit in the door. I mean, obviously, this happens when you open your mouth to speak, right? People just immediately flock to you and and fill the room so you know what Jesus is dealing with here, I'm sure. Uh, And here's a question. What is attracting so many people? Why do they all want to be around Jesus? What is it about Jesus and what he says that makes people want to be in his presence? And according to Mark in this story, it's, it's simple. Mark says, he preached the word to them. That's what it is. That's it. They wanted to hear good news about love and grace and truth and, and hear it in a compelling way. That's what attracts people. They want and need deep down, even if they don't know it right away. I mean, what they want and what they need is to be known and accepted and in community and taught about who Jesus really is because who Jesus really is is good news for them and for you and for me. I mean, you could even say that's true for everybody. So the house is packed. And here comes these four guys carrying their paralyzed friend on a mat. And remember, not even one more person can fit into this house. So how in the world will four more people carrying a fifth person on a mat fit in this house? So, like you would do, naturally, they go up on the roof, (laughs) dig through it, and lower this dude down to Jesus. Okay, here we go. In first century Palestinian homes, uh, roofs were typically accessible by stone staircases or ladders, but oftentimes stone staircases uh, on on the outside of the house. And the roofs were flat. So unfortunately, these, these friends aren't scaling up gutters and spider-manning it on the roofs uh, that are slanted at like a 45-degree angle, all while carrying their friend on a mat. And I say unfortunately because that would be super impressive and awesome if they did do that. Uh, and these roofs, these flat roofs, they were supported by, by beams that rested on the exterior walls of the house. And laying across these beams were smaller poles and sticks, which uh, were covered with something called thatch. Thatch was a mixture of straw and reeds and leaves. And then the thatch was covered by a layer of mud. So <laughs> there's a lot going on with these roofs. And uh, a roof was, was used like a deck. Like you, you and I would use our, our back deck. or so. You'd go up on your roof to, to, to rest or to get some sun or fresh air You would dry your laundry up there. You would eat up there. You'd pray up there. You'd use your nine-burner Weber Weber grill to make dinner for your block party that was happening that night. Uh, Point being, when Mark tells us these guys were digging through the roof, that's not a figure of speech. They were literally digging through the roof. 
so if you're down below, you're in the house and you're intently listening to Jesus. You're not very happy about this digging because all this stuff is probably falling all over you. I mean, imagine Jesus is making the second point of his three-point sermon and you're writing this point down on your animal skin or parchment or whatever it is you have and Jesus is about to show this really funny slide on, on the side screens and he's got you like hooked and, and you're enthralled and all of a sudden thatch starts falling on you. Dang thatch. I mean, what a distraction. Jesus must be super mad at this point that these guys are interrupting his sermon. This is like worse than a baby crying in the back of the auditorium. My other question is this. How did these guys lower their friend from the roof? By the way, I was just kidding about that. I think when babies cry in church, it's fantastic. Uh, Part of the the family dynamics and family experience. I'm all for babies in church. But how do these guys lower their friend from the roof? Did, did like, remember pulleys from middle school science class? Did they use pulleys? I mean, I would have loved to see this, however they did it. How in the world did they lower this friend to Jesus? Uh, anyway, that's not the point of the story. But when Mark writes that they made an opening in the roof, the literal, the literal <laughs> phrase he writes is, they unroofed the roof. <laughs> How great of a line is that? What'd they do? They unroofed the roof. Uh, sometimes, sometimes you just need to unroof the roof. Sometimes you need to find another way in. Sometimes what's actually required is another way of doing things. Sometimes you need to look for another way of making it work. Right? I mean, you know what it is to unroof the roof. Uh, your family at some point didn't have as much income as they once did. And so you needed to figure out a lifestyle of living that you've never really had to figure out before. So what'd you do? You unroofed the roof. You found another way. The young couple consists of two people with with great careers and, and they both aspire to keep going and neither of them up until now have ever had to think about how to accommodate someone else in the midst of their own goals until now. So they unroofed the roof to come up with a new schedule or a new way to compromise with one another. The thing you read in your parenting book wasn't working. Your kid was still constantly throwing wooden blocks at you. So what'd you do? You unroofed the roof to try something different. The timeline for your work project is about half the time you usually have to get your projects done. So you unroof the roof to to speed up the process in order to get this project done. Uh, Your schedule changed or you had a baby and so you don't have the same amount of time you once did to go to the gym or to sit silently in prayer or to read or to hang out with friends or your spouse or whatever it is. So you unroof the roof to rearrange some things or to change a couple habits in order to keep what was most important to you. Uh, You're newly retired and you've recently just found yourself thinking, uh, I'm bored. <laughs> what do I do? What do I do now? I've never like, had this problem. What do you, you unroof the roof to, to figure out new ways to spend your time in a healthy, constructive, life-giving way. I mean, sometimes you just need to unroof the roof. You need to try something different or unconventional. Where is it right now in your life that you need to unroof the roof? Maybe the old way wasn't working, and it's time to try something new.
Okay, let's keep going. Uh, Mark writes, so, so these dudes, they go up on the roof, they, dig, they unroof the roof, they lower this guy down, and Mark writes that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, first off, Jesus doesn't care at all about this interruption and distraction of thatch falling and this guy lowering down. That doesn't bother him at all. He loves the babies crying in the room. He loves the thatch falling from the roof. Uh, he actually welcomes this. And there's a point to be made here. When you read through the Gospels and the stories of Jesus, notice how much of Jesus' words and actions happen in the interruptions. I mean, we could find countless, we could go all day on this. Uh, the goal isn't to get rid of interruptions. I mean, there, it's going to happen. The goal is to be aware and flexible enough to respond well to the interruptions, which actually aren't really interruptions at all. Like sometimes that's just where it's at. That's just what needs to be happening right now. The goal is not to get rid of interruptions. It's to respond, be aware enough and flexible enough to respond well to the interruptions and see the, actually the opportunity that's right here in front of you. Second, when Jesus saw whose faith? Mark writes, when Jesus saw their faith. And what's he talking about? Is he talking about the faith of two of the four friends who are carrying this guy? Does Mark mean the faith of all four of the friends? Does Mark mean the faith of the four friends plus the faith of the paralyzed dude? Uh, we're not told. And apparently, that's not what ultimately matters. What matters is that it is faith in and through Jesus that allows Jesus to reveal himself. That's how this guy gets healed. Faith. Whose faith? Their faith. <laughs> I mean, Mark seems less concerned with the specific agents of faith here. And, and once again, uh, when you read through the Gospels, you notice that faith generally precedes rather than follows the healing. You read through healing stories of Jesus, faith generally comes first. Not to say it never, it, that's, it, that's always the way it is, not to say Jesus won't heal, bless, whatever, people who don't have any sort of faith yet. Uh, it's just to say, when you read through the Gospels, faith generally comes first. So if you're going through something and you've tried everything to fix it and you're wondering why God doesn't change this, one of the questions is, not the only question, and let's not oversimplify it, but one of the questions is, do you actually have faith that God can change it? How's your faith? Third, uh, what Jesus is doing here is he's taking the conversation to a deeper level. A and Jesus will always take the conversation to a deeper level. I mean, let's realize this. This guy didn't come to Jesus to have his sins forgiven. <laughs> he came to Jesus to be healed of his paralysis. That's why he came. Yet the first thing Jesus says to him is, Son, your sins are forgiven. Why is this significant? Going back to, this is a, seems like a bizarre pairing, forgiving and healing. Uh, let's talk about the relationship between sin and illness. Sin and, and illness, or sin and disease, were intimately associated. 
Jews of the first century believed that sin was the cause of illness. And that, that was the common thought. Now, there's the obvious connection between sin and the illness that affects all of humanity, meaning it is because of sin that we live in a fallen world. At least that's what I believe. Uh, but there's also an interesting insight when we take this a level deeper. Jesus' words to this paralyzed gentleman appear to reflect Jesus' awareness of this guy's particular sins and his sins relationship to his particular illness, which is huge. Because if that's the case, Jesus is letting this guy know that the faith of his friends can't actually be a long-term substitute for his own journey with Jesus. They can be helpful. The faith of his friends can be super helpful. They, They can even be a starting point, but they can't in the long run replace his own faith. Have you ever benefited because of the faith of your friend or your family member or your coworker? I mean, I I have a bunch and that's, that's good and it's helpful and it's part of what it means to be in a community. It's, it's just not the long-term solution for you and for your own faith. So what does Jesus do? Jesus goes to the deepest level here. He goes to this guy's heart and he heals his heart in order to heal whatever else is going on with him. And s- sometimes we'd like to settle for surfacey healings, right? Like it, if I just stop swearing at my annoying neighbor, I'll be fine. Uh, Jesus doesn't go for that. He, he takes us deeper and says, okay, let's first talk about all the pent up anger you have in your heart because of what happened to you five years ago. Let's go a little deeper here. Once we take care of that, this neighbor situation, that's going to take care of itself. And this isn't to say that when we take care of our heart, we'll we'll never have bad habits or we'll never have struggles again. That's not what we're saying. It's just to say that Jesus goes to the deepest level to really heal us. Now, let's let's go even deeper here. Uh, We already said that Jews believed there was a connection between sin and illness. Jews also believed that In every sin, no matter what it was, God was the party that was most offended. So if you cheated somebody out of their life savings, God was still more offended than the person you cheated, than the person who just lost everything. So the thought was, and then this is a quote that I read while studying this passage, uh, forgiveness of sins remains the exclusive right of God. Uh, yesterday, Corey, my wife was, she's a part of a Bible study and she was doing some reading for her Bible study and she was reading the story of David and Bathsheba. And this is why, by the way, after David commits adultery with Bathsheba and then he tries to cover it up by murdering (laughs) Bathsheba's husband, breaking, by the way, about half of the 10 commandments in the process. This is why after all that, he says to God in Psalm 51, Against you, you only, have I sinned. So when the teachers of the law say to themselves in verse 7 of the story, who can forgive sins but God alone? Uh, They're not wrong. (laughs) They're not wrong. That That was the thought. So either Jesus here has made a terrible mistake by trying to forgive sins, or he's claiming to be God. 
which, by the way, was punishable by death. This is why Jesus constantly gets, people are trying to kill him (laughs) throughout the Gospels. Uh, What is the story about? It's about authority. And let's add one more detail here. It was believed that the Messiah, when he came, wouldn't even have the authority to forgive sins. So Jesus is surprising everyone here. Jesus is full of surprises. Everyone's learning something about Jesus' authority, even the people who believe he was the Messiah. Is there a place that you're trying to settle for a surfacey answer or a surfacey healing or a surfacey explanation for why things are happening to and around you? Is Jesus trying to take you a level deeper? It's okay to be honest. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be transparent. Because Jesus can do wonderful, amazing things when we're willing to be completely open. Now, who wants to keep going? Me too. Here we go. Uh, Now we get some new characters in the story. The mention of forgiveness here causes the story to, to turn a corner a bit. So now we get introduced to the teachers of the law. Teachers of the law, they were some of the religious leaders of the day. And here's what we need to know about the teachers of the law. They did not claim to be able to forgive sins. Because remember, forgiving sins is the exclusive right of God. And in their mind, if they can't do it, then this Jesus guy certainly can't do it. So so they're a bit irritated, a bit ticked, a bit jealous when Jesus acts like he can forgive sins. Okay, so, so here we go. Jesus and the religious leaders are, are going to go another round here in the ring. And what could have been a nice, feel-good, heartwarming healing turns into a confrontation over what? You got it. Over authority. The teachers here now, they're thinking to themselves, who does this guy think he is? Or fellow, as Mark writes. Who does this fellow think he is. And Mark writes that immediately. Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking, where? In their hearts. And Jesus knows what they're thinking in their hearts because he's Jesus. And notice again how Jesus goes right after the heart. Only now it's not the heart. It's, now it's not the heart of the man. Now it's the hearts of the teachers of the law. And so he asked them, which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Have we mentioned the stories about authority? Then Jesus turns to this man and he says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Leave your sins Take your mat. Because some things we need to leave behind and some things we need to take with us. Then Mark White writes, So the man got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. Okay, three things here. First, uh, there are two kinds of paralysis in this story. Jesus can heal this man of his physical paralysis and say, get up and walk. The larger question becomes, Can Jesus heal the teachers of the law of their spiritual paralysis? And I know that sounds cliche. I know that sounds corny. I I get it, but go with me here. Uh, Jesus wants these teachers of the law to experience, like the man is experiencing, 
the absolute beauty of the authority and the goodness of Jesus, because remember, authority is inherently good. The, the, the major difference here between the paralyzed man and the teachers of the law is that the paralyzed man is well aware of his need for the authority and the goodness of Jesus, and these religious leaders aren't. I'm feeling an obvious question coming on here. Uh, which of these two realities do you tend to find yourself in? Not aware of your need for Jesus or totally aware of your need for Jesus? I mean, those are just two completely different ways to live. Second, it is always easier to say than it is to do. It is always easier to say than it is to do. Which is easier, Jesus asks, to say to this man that his sins are forgiven or to actually give him the ability to get up, take his mat, and walk. And so if Jesus actually heals this man, then it would be assumed that he actually has just forgiven his sins because remember the deep, intimate connection between sin and illness. And that's what Jesus does. And it's always easier to say than it is to do. Which is easier? To say you love your spouse or to actually be faithful to them and to treat them like they're gold in any situation? Which is easier? To say you will work hard at your job or to actually do the things that it takes to be at your best every single day. Which is easier, to say that you're committed to your beliefs or to make the seemingly little everyday decisions based on your beliefs? Which is easier, to tell your parents you love them when you're in middle school or to actually obey their guidelines for you? Which is easier, to, to say you accept others' views or to actually withhold your sarcastic response to someone's absurd Facebook post. Which is easier, to, to say you care about your own spiritual health, heart health, emotional health, or to do the hard work that it takes to keep improving. It's always easier to say than it is to do. I mean, let's be people who actually do what we say, do the hard work. I said, okay, the third, third thing here. Notice how many times Mark writes the word for get up or got up at the end of the story. First, first time, Mark says, which is easier. Or Mark writes that Jesus says, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. That's one. Second time. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. That's the second time. Here's the third time. Mark writes, he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. How many times is that? Three times. Why does that matter? We said this before. In the Bible, three is a really significant, meaningful number. It can represent completion. It can rep represent uh, fulfillment. And and. So three times in rapid succession at the end of the story, the word for get up or got up. And the word here is the Greek word, uh, agairo. It means to get up, to rise. It can mean to wake up, to cause to come into being. It is sometimes uh, used as. Uh, and by the way, 
Not only does Mark use that word three times here, which is meaningful, this word agairo, this is also the word Mark uses at the end of his gospel for the resurrection of Jesus. Ha <laughs> ha! How great is that? This is a resurrection story. This is a resurrection story. Doing has a resurrection element to it. Doing something is transformational. Doing something takes it from word to flesh, which is what Jesus is all about. This is a resurrection story. What resurrection story are you living right now? What are you actually doing that is transforming you to be more like Jesus? You're not just saying stuff. And, and you can say stuff. Saying stuff is okay. But you're actually living it out. And as a result, you aren't the same person in a really, really good way. What resurrection story are you living right now? And let's end this with another question. So the story ends uh, with verse 12. Mark writes, He got up took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. And by the way, in Luke's account of this story, uh, Luke mentions that the man himself was also praising God when he walks out. Um, so everyone here, when Mark says this amazed everyone, everyone here includes the dude who just got healed at the deepest level, <laughs> which isn't surprising. I mean, if, if you're him, how could you not be praising God right now? Uh, my question is, does everyone here include the teachers of the law? I mean, Mark writes that everyone was amazed and praised God. So you, you would think, yes, of course, that includes them. They're a part of everyone. But then you read the next several stories that Mark tells, and it makes you think, uh, maybe not. <laughs> I don't know the answer. Uh, but here's what I do know. Mark gently puts us in the shoes or the sandals or whatever of the religious leaders here. Are we open to being amazed at and celebrating what God is doing around us? No matter what God is doing around us. Or do we get all grumpy and bent out of shape because God is doing things in a way that we don't approve of? <laughs> or because God is blessing people we don't think deserve to be blessed? So here's the question we'll end on. What is God doing around you that is causing you to praise God and to say, I have never seen anything like this? And I think we've mentioned this before, but I'm I think of the, the quote that Albert Einstein gets credit for. There are two ways to live your life, as though nothing is a miracle or as though everything is a miracle. I don't know about you, but I want to be a person that lives my life in awe of what God is continually doing in me and around me. So I've actually tried to be mindful of this this week, of just being in awe of what God is doing. And today we uh, had kind of an impromptu lunch with some good friends of our, our, our family and their family. And that was like, all right, that's, I'm in awe. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. This wasn't planned. And now we get to have some good food and meaningful conversation. Yesterday, our neighbor uh, kid had a, had a birthday party and my son was over there playing and I was watching him playing outside and, and just in awe of kids running around and be like, all right, all right, this is awesome. 
Never seen it. I had Torchy's tacos yesterday, and I was in awe of those tacos. What is it that God is doing around you that is causing you to praise him and to say, I have never seen anything like this? What's your story? What's your story? What is it that God is doing that is causing you to say, I have never seen anything like this? Well, thanks for listening. Hope you have a great week. Much love, and we'll see you next time.